Welcome to Lateral Conversations. My name is Thomas Mark. This is a podcast about the evolution of consciousness, psyche and culture. I speak here with people who have something important to contribute to the development of spirit and society. My guests are therefore artists, philosophers, academics or activists, people not only with great ideas, but also the willingness to put them into the world. By doing so, I hope to contribute to the evolution by finding and exploring ideas and finally providing them to you. There's nothing more powerful, Victor Hugo once said, than an idea whose time has come. And if such a time for an idea has come, we can only find out by talking about them. My guest today is Terry Patton. Terry is a philosopher, author, activist, social entrepreneur, consultant, coach, and the author of the book A New Republic of the Heart, an ethos for revolutionaries. Because I have the distinct pleasure to publish his book in Germany uh, in a couple of months, I took the chance and talked with Terry about his new book. It's a fascinating and engaging book about spiritual activism and how our spiritual development has to be reflected in our actions in the world, especially in context of the global crisis that we are facing. Um, so we talked a lot about this kind of spiritual activism Uh, as well as numerous aspects and topics covered in his book. Consent trance, narratives that shape the world, we space, practices, and so on and so on. I hope um, you will enjoy this conversation. Um, I for sure did so. Um, very grateful that Terry took the time. So... Um, This is Tom and Mark. Good day and good luck. So, Terry, thank you very much for joining me in this episode of Lateral Conversations. Um, you come, you're, you're talking, you are now in San Francisco in the vicinity, I understand. And right. you, you have written a fantastic book, uh, The New Republic of the Heart, which was out, I think, September of last year in, uh, in the United States. Yeah, yeah, it was released last year in the U.S. Right, and will be. Uh, I will release it in Germany in I think September, October. Um, so just before we started to, um, just before we, I, I made this introduction. You you mentioned something about the 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 idea and and the general gist of the book and what you want to accomplish with that, and and could you could you. Um, rephrase that or go into it for a moment? Sure. I think that this book brings together the many different aspects of the inner work of our own personal evolution, the interpersonal work of our collective, you know, a lot is emerging right now in terms of communication, we space, uh, 
collaboration and, and collective work in the interpersonal domain. And also an understanding, an integral and evolutionary understanding of the nature of the outer work of uh, behavior change, lifestyle transformation, and systems transformation in, in a mode that we could call integral evolutionary activism. And I don't think there really has been an integration of the practices, the inner, inter, inter and outer practices that are necessary in this inflection point in our uh, collective journey as a species. We are in an existential crisis. Human civilization is completely unsustainable as it is, and a radical transformation will await us, uh, whether we frame that negatively or positively, if the future will not be the same as the past. And therefore, how, how can we be? How can I be the change? How can you, how can we, how can we be the change at the level of all four quadrants? Not just in our subjectivity, not just in our relationships, not just in our behavior, not just in our work on systems. It's a whole systems change that's needed. And that has to boil itself down to an understanding of how, how we do that. We have to have agreements. And I think I've been able to constellate enough clear and penetrating and fundamental agreements that great number of people can share so that this book can serve in a way that, uh, you know, my ultimate hope for the book, if it really becomes wide, widely used, especially by social change agents, is that it can function something like the way Karl Marx's work did for the more economic materialist based revolutions of the uh, 18th century in order to you, people have to have a coherent uh, understanding of how of, of what's necessary and how to do it i think the book provides that and i'm really pleased you know I, this was a a labor of love that took place over about 20 years i wrote this book and uh threw it away uh, three times before I wrote the version that uh, uh, has appeared in print. And I think it's adequate to that task, and I'm, I'm very happy about that. Right. So there were a few things I really uh, liked about your book. Um, first um, was that what you were calling spiritual activism. What, what I liked about your book is that you tried to do something similar that I did with my last book, that is to liberate spirituality in a way from its postmodern pathologies, so to say, and uh, liberate spirituality from let's go to the Sangha, you know, and meditate and everything will be better. So, you, so your approach is very pragmatic and says like your, your spiritual attainment has to be reflected in the actions in the world, in your actions in the world. and and the love which you use to better the world. I, I, it's not exactly your words, but that was what I was getting from it. So and this was all connected to the deep wisdom um, which were palpable in that book. And so I, I really liked this combination of, of wisdom and, and spiritual activism, which goes beyond mere uh, postmodern, new agey, spirituality, you know, and so that, that was my impression of it. Well, that's certainly true. I think many, many people are 
waking up and getting woke at this time, getting woke in the social action sense, awakening in the spiritual growth sense. And we're all recognizing that the identities and thought patterns and frames of reference that have governed us culturally are no longer adequate to the challenges of our world and our lives. And that really the biggest challenges we all face, you know, you personally, me personally, they're shared challenges. Like the fact that I can't confidently know that my children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren will live in a habitable world is a bigger challenge to my integrity and to me being able to really feel good about the life and the legacy that I'm leading than anything else. And you have that same problem. And I can't answer that challenge by myself. This is something, it, it's like we're given, I, I use this metaphor of a a Zen koan, an impossible question that stumps the mind and forces a transformation of the consciousness and the very being of the practitioner. Well, this impossible question of living in an unsustainable human civilization has been given to all nearly 8 billion of us here on the planet. Most of us aren't able to be consciously related to that challenge. But those of us who are, are being challenged to come into a different kind of relationship to ourselves, to one another, to what a, a worthwhile life is, to love, to every aspect of our existence. And we need to be able to have enough people who understand it in similar enough terms that we can become Sangha to one another in a different sense, co-creators of the pattern that could turn this around if it can be turned around. And, um, you know, this, this brings to mind something uh, adjacent, which is there are many, many people who are very pessimistic about the future of human civilization who have more or less given up. And there is a whole community uh, focused on uh, reckoning with collapse. The, the, the Dark Martin Mountain Project in the UK, the uh, uh, Extinction Rebellion also in the UK, the, the community around Jem Bendel's paper, Deep Adaptation. All of these are convening communities of really thoughtful and deep people who I regard as brothers and sisters in the great work, but who are finding that just assuming that it all will fall apart and that we are heading for extinction. This right. is a wonderful, wonderful essay by Catherine Ingram called Facing Extinction. That, and, and, and they find that simply giving up any hope of avoiding it is what's necessary for them to drop into a radically changed relationship to themselves and their expectations. And, I, and many of these people are deep brothers and sisters in, in, the, in the important work. I, I respect them. But I think that what I'm attempting to do is to call people beyond that frame, that really the future is unknowable. It is emergent. We do not know that we are going to go through even societal collapse, let alone human extinction. That is not pre-written. There may be 
radical technological breakthroughs that will transform a great deal of this. There may be uh, transformations culturally and in consciousness that will become factors in a whole different way. And so I think that the, the reality that we can't sleepwalk forward assuming the world will continue to be as we have known it is such a, it so profoundly penetrates our uh, usual way of being and it shifts things. And these people are letting the certainty of extinction be the bridge to, to uh, that kind of a profound shift. Right. Well, well um, additionally, in, in your book, you talk about narratives and how our narratives shape uh, our expectations on future. So that, that was also like one possibility to, to this pessimistic view on things. And there are these people who are, have like the more optimistic thing perspective or the more evolutionary perspective. But <clears throat> I, I think what, what I also found very interesting about your book, it's, it's, it's the fact that um, that you had like a completely different approach um, to, to spirituality um, than, than I myself had with the last book I've wrote. I, I had like kind of a super individualistic approach um, to it, meaning that if, if you um, connect with what you also call in your book, the diamond, for example, this higher, higher principle of your soul or by whatever name you call it, that from my point of view, there's also necessarily a social dimension to it. And you can't operate in a vacuum, vacuum um, when you enact this, this diamond. In a way, it's, it's necessarily social. You, you know what I mean? So it's, it's exactly. not, it, it goes beyond yourself and um, it operates in an authentic way in and, and with the world. And so that, that was my perspective on how, how you can yeah, liberate postmodern spirituality from this, 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 this bubble of, yeah, let's, let's go to the Zanga and, and let's meditate for a couple of weeks and then um, maybe we find some illumination. Um, just, but but to, to encounter this, this deeper force within ourselves and then to say, well, we have, we have to engage with the world and we have to bring it into the world and we have to be, as you said, agents of change. So, and, and I found this, this polarity of, of these two books, I found this very intriguing because um, it, it had the same subject, but, but viewed it from, from different angles. And so I found it, found it very, com uh, how do you say, like um, complementary. Right. Well, I'm glad. You know, there, there, there's something, I'd like to return to that little conversation about the collapse community to make one point that I didn't make and then oh. return to this social dimension of spiritual practice. Uh, it is possible, in fact, it tends to be the case that our narrative and our expectations become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And therefore, we have a paradox in which most of the people on the planet are really sleepwalking into apocalyptic futures and unable to face just how serious our civilizational and ecological predicament really is. This self-mad, self-accelerating dance of, right. of madness that we're all caught up in. 
and therefore I, that's why I express so much respect for the folks who are willing to let that be penetrated and it, it's it's a shock and it has them recalibrate now the reality is they're right that we can't sleepwalk and so in that sense we're we agree with them but I don't agree with the taking of extinction or collapse as a certainty because evolutionary emergence has taken place again and again and again and again and again through the whole history of cosmic and biological and even cultural evolution. It is an absolute miracle that life should come from dead matter or that consciousness and culture should come from vegetative life. The little summary of evolution uh, that, that Brian Swim once articulated, I, I kind of modify it a little. If you leave hydrogen and helium alone long enough, eventually they become uh, ferns and antelopes and eventually they build cathedrals, write symphonies and put telescopes into orbit and look back billions of years and wonder about the meaning of it all. That's, right. that's pretty amazing. So the idea that there should be no miracle now at this time of intense evolutionary pressure, I don't accept. There can be miracles. And in fact, I think that our activism has to be to make ourselves a space in which the miracle, you know, evolutionary emergence is a scientific term that in religious language would be called miracle. It's the unexpected. How, how could that ever happen? It couldn't ever have been predicted from previous causes. So to make our own participation in life uh, an opening through which that kind of miracle can take place is the whole point. And to some degree, we do that in our consciousness subjectively. When we really become awakened in our meditation, we're, we're like an exploded sphere of wonder and love and, uh, and, and a kind of receptivity and creativity and generosity and care uh, become our capacity. And we can share those feelings with one another. And very often, sincere spiritual practitioners feel a deep sense of brotherhood and sisterhood with other practitioners, but it's only about sharing the elevated states that they're able to achieve. For us to recognize that those states and structures of consciousness, you know, as an integral student, you understand Wilbur's distinction between states and structures, both kinds of awakening and, and, and awakening from our shadow projections. Man, many kinds of work are, are necessary to a fully integral awakening of us as individuals. But the critical thing is this challenge can only be addressed collectively. And so our practice must begin to become a collective practice. So even as we support one another in the subjective awakening, which I don't think can be subtracted. I don't think we're moving from individual practice to collective practice. I think we're, we're talking about an expansion from an exclusive focus on individual practice. We don't want to move to an exclusive focus on collective practice. We have to become multidimensional beings who are doing the inner work, the interpersonal work, and the outer work, but that outer work 
for some people, some people are leaders and are way ahead of me. I'm still living in a more or less conventional circumstance in, uh, in a prosperous, more or less suburban uh, environment outside San Francisco. Right. But the people who are living in eco-villages are, are actually changing their lifestyle and their consumption habits in ways I hope I will be doing before long. Right. They're leading me. But the people who see, yes, we each have to change our lifestyles, everybody tends to focus only on the thing they are best at, and they ignore the other dimensions. And a truly integral approach is necessary because what's required right now is whole systems transformation. It is radical and holistic. And our minds and our spirits tend not to be able to be present to all of that. In order to get it, in order to feel it, we have to focus it down on one thing. And so you have people saying, we just have to heal our relationship to the earth and change our consumption behavior and just do ceremony and have a fire on the full moon and be with one another like ancient wisdom, ancient earth-based spirituality. And they're not wrong. I think they're really right. I think that's so rich. But it isn't the answer to everything we're facing. We're actually being asked now to become bigger and different kinds of beings together. And for us to grok that and to really bring that on board stretches us. It's an evolutionary challenge to become more mature and different and, and very humble, uh, emergent beings who, who are... There isn't an answer. We can't get this right. It's not about being convinced of a certain view and then promulgating that view. It's about being a process in process, constantly opening to a, a very transformational time on the planet. Probably hundreds of millions of people will die in the process of this transition. Probably it will be uh, beyond anybody's comfort zone. Probably that's what the trends seem to show it's going to be profoundly disruptive. And yet under those circumstances, also the best in human beings will come about and there'll be windows of opportunity for more fundamental transformation of us subjectively, intersubjectively, behaviorally, and systems change. And we're gonna create systems that are way beyond anything we've had before. Even if we did go extinct, those experiments will happen. Right. to some degree, before the extinction. And that is an opportunity for us as individuals to participate in the great story of evolutionary emergence as actual choice-making conscious participants. It's the most inspiring and exciting opportunity a human being could be given. Right. And it, At the it same time, us, but it's great. At the same time, you know, the, the problem is that we never know where and when emergence or like emergent qualities are popping up. I mean, we all, as, as human beings, as a, as a species, we all have this innate um, program and need for survival. And so it will, and, and you point this out in your book, and you said it can well, very well be the case that all the uh, scientists and academics and entrepreneurs like find solutions for our predicament or global predicament without uh, any without having any spiritual inclination so and and or like there was an article like recently in the german newspaper that uh, our way of 
regulating climate very well uh, li li lies in the hands of the Indian uh, uh, people, the Indian continent, and, and their acceptance of um, new ways of electricity and stuff like that. So it, we, what I want to say is we don't know where emergence are popping up and what we can do, but, but what we can do is like to, to act authentic, uh, authentically and, and to, to try our best and, and to act responsible in and with the world and whatever shape or form uh, it takes. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? I do. I think that, I think that there are necessarily, well, actually just observing what's already happening, there are forms of evolutionary emergence appearing in all kinds of places. This, the, the pressures are already beginning to bear in upon us. And like the metaphor of the sprout coming through the crack in the pavement, you know, there are all kinds of very beautiful and creative expressions of, of, of new possibility of, of evolutionary emergence already appearing, and there will be more. And as, Unfortunately, the trends do appear to be likely to take us into some pretty hair-raising circumstances that, that will shock us, that will be worse, so-called, than anything before. And, and yet this process of evolution has always taken place under life and death pressures. And there have always been individuals who faced not only their own death, but perhaps the death of their city or their tribe or their nation. And there have been genocides and there have been the wipings out of many, many tribes and species all through history. So this, it, the intensity of this pressure in some sense is the same thing that's gone on forever. And in another sense, it's different. It's different because there's never been a globally connected human civilization and it has never had so much influence over so many species. We're well into the sixth great extinction in the history of the planet. And so I, I, it, it is my uh, speculation and also my intuitive experience that this raises the stakes and creates for us a moral call of a different order. There's a very well-known poem by uh, an American who lives near me, Drew Dellinger, was written perhaps almost 20 years ago called Hieroglyphic Stairway. And some of the lines in that go, it's 3.23 in the morning and I can't sleep. I keep hearing the voices of my great, great grandchildren calling to me, asking me, what were you doing when the planet was unraveling? What were you doing when the animals were dying? What were you doing when the oceans were dying? Once you knew, what did you do? And that is, kind of chilling and it, 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 it most people will hear that and kind of feel a sense of guilt like we're, well none of us are doing enough right that uh, none of us can face our great-grandchildren in the face of that kind of a challenge of course that's not a very useful so, uh, emotional disposition our, our spiritual practice wakes us up to the miracle of this moment to the fact that there's a deep, deep and profound okayness to existence itself. That and the, and, and the problems, you know, you talk about um, what was the word you were using, consensual trance uh, that we're in sometimes, like uh, even 
yeah like in like like in, at the moment when society forces some views on us and and we we're not able to question them anymore and we're not able to uh, recognize the narratives we we are using so well that's yeah that's an important point it's a different point L let me complete the point right. i was beginning to try to make see it if we just get uptight around the fact that oh my god the his you know the future of life depends on what happens in our lifetime so much is at stake and yet i'm just one of nearly eight billion people and i don't seem to be able to have that much impact and this sense of frustration it can just burn us out and 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 destroy our well-being and our our our, our very eff efficacy depends upon us rediscovering a sense of wonder feeling inspired by this opportunity becoming uh mystics in the sense of being in touch with the the miracle of existence and trusting the process of our own lives and the process of life on earth if it is really too late and we are headed for extinction it is it would be a shame for us not to enjoy the last sunset so to speak you know there's a great zen teaching story of uh the master walking through the jungle and a tiger begins to run after him and he runs over and there's a a, a deep ravine with this you know a, a, a sharp drop off and 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 a vine and he grabs the vine and he goes down the ravine and the, and so the tiger can't follow him but he's hanging there by this vine with the tiger above and he looks down and it's quite a ways down and there's rocks below in one version of the story, there's another tiger at the bottom. And then he sees that the vine is being eaten away by a couple of mice. And it's just nothing can prevent it. He's going to go. But he notices a wild strawberry growing from the side of the ravine. And they say, you know, he reaches out to pluck it. And the last line of the teaching story is, and it was so sweet. So it... I have this one-liner that I think you're familiar with, things are far too serious for us to lose our sense of humor. That this uh, existential pressure is exactly what produces evolutionary emergence. This is, these are the circumstances that create a miracle, and we have to be open to allowing that miracle to come through us, and part of that is to be struck and opened continuously as a practice by the enormous privilege and honor and evolutionary uh, opportunity that it is to be alive at a time when so much is in turmoil and so much emergence might be possible. And each of us can contribute to that and each of us needs one another. And so to me, the big thing is looking at you and saying, wow, Tom, you care enough about this and you're smart enough that you understand these integral ideas, that you've been able to grok my book, that you're bringing it out, auf Deutsch, that you are with me in this process. Sure. And we are, we, are, we are synergistically, co-creatively attempting to bring some of this new understanding and new appreciation for practice into life. Well, out of that, what comes? You know, we, 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 we might discover that these are the circumstances that will evolve human collaboration and friendship and 
what it is to be in a we, in a, in a, in a, in a you know, the miracle of we that Ken, Ken's phrase, right. you know, can become something more than it has ever become before. And under these pressures, maybe it has to. Right. So all of a sudden you become more interesting to me. All of a sudden the potentials of every friendship. I, I don't want to just define, you know, we, we get sick of each other. We've all been disappointed in love and in life and in our friendships. And we tend then to go into a rigidified idea that limits the potentials of what's there. If we let this in, it wakes us up to the fact that real transformation is possible, even in the most intimate level. And it makes me curious then right. as potentials of every friendship. Let me, let me ask one thing, because um, your book stands out for me because it's so highly pragmatic in a way. You know, we talked about this. So let's, let's, let's try to um, be, be a, mid, a little bit more precise and not, not that abstract because, I mean, like we, we face grave danger climatically, for example. Uh, the generation or two generations before my life, the, the world faced uh, the Second World War. And before that, it was like the, the First World War. And these were like the, the first global catastrophes, so to, so to speak. Now, that these things, these, these real uh, events, they're quite different than, say, that what you call consens trance, that the, the alarmism which goes with it sometimes. You know, it's like everything which um, you bind yourself to, which is not questioned, uh, is, is, is a cause for suffering itself. So at least so goes the, the, the spiritual traditions. So, so my question is like twofold. Like how do you uh, reconcile in a way um, spiritual activism with um, the, the spiritual doctrine you find in all these wisdom traditions like, um, like indifference, non-attachment, on one side, and on the other side, what would you say, say for a young man who who um, who just awakes, so to speak, to to his inner dimensions and to his personal traumas, for example, and wants to wants to join a spiritual movement just to get a grip on on what's going on in his mind and in his world. So how how can he um, integrate? spiritual activism there when his primal urge, so to say, is just to get a grip on himself in a way. So it's like a two-part uh, two question, but I think it, it belongs together because, you know, how, how do you do with that? Well, there, every individual's life path has its own unique trajectory, and there is no single script. Oh, there's no one-size-fits-all sequence of understanding and revelation and practice. So to some degree, I stand humbly before anybody. I don't look at somebody and say, you've got to fit into some rigid model. A, a young person who's recognizing the importance of his work on himself and his wounds and traumas and shadows and also has a taste of awakening and a sense of a new level of consciousness that's possible, of course they're going to be motivated to grow in that way. 
I would hope that they would also be exposed to these ideas and would recognize that this isn't an either or matter, that this profound emphasis on their personal growth and their inner work doesn't have to mean completely dissociating from interpersonal work or outer work or behavior change, that all of these things are ultimately going to be a single matter. Some people are going to just be impatient with that subjective focus and they're going to be founding an eco-village or leading civil disobedience over the world's government's inadequate response to the climate crisis. And they're not wrong either. Everybody is, you know, nobody can be a fully engaged activist relative to every salient issue in every society. Nobody can accomplish every aspect of the inner work. We all have to be informed by a, a broader view in time. So the advice I'd give to that young man who's just opened up into a, a, a process of gr growth in their consciousness would be to celebrate that and appreciate that and get to know them. Generally, in any of these conversations, it's more important to ask questions than it is to give speeches and to really get to know that person. But when you can meet that person at a deep enough level, actually having seen them and knowing them, which is not something I'm doing with you here, since the presumption here is that we're doing a podcast where I'm mainly doing the talking. <laughs> Pardon me for that. But, but still, uh, the, 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 the key then is for us to be present to the opportunity or pressure that our, that whatever it is we are awake to is only part of the picture, that it is not, every single perspective in integral theory is both true and partial. And that actually pertains to every perspective. The integral perspective itself is often compared to the view from 50,000 feet. But, okay, but so, so how do you deal with that kind of but paradox? Even that, view, even that view is incomplete. Even the view from 50,000 feet is incomplete. Yeah, that's... That, what, that, what that means then is that you have to become humble, that you have to really be in process. And that humility opens up a different kind of availability. I've thought about these things in depth, and I've been a serious practitioner for almost 50 years now. I've been through this again and again and again. And yet I have things to learn from you. A truly integral sensibility is open and curious and ready to learn from everyone they meet. Everybody is my teacher. Everybody is a, a, an opportunity for an ally. That mm. humility means that I'm in process, I'm opened up. And that's a part of that inner journey. But then that means that that inner journey can't only be about the inner journey. And, and every one of us has a bias by tendency and not enough of us at this stage are powerful in the outer world. This is the brutality of the right-wing uh, backlash that we see all through Western civilizations right now. And our ability to be stronger and to be more coherently related to other 
others so that we become a force that has impact on human affairs at a macro level, that, that is inadequate. We haven't found our way to do that yet. You know, there's that great quote from Teilhard de Chardin that when we harness the energies of love, we will have discovered fire for the second time and it will transform the world. There's, there's great truth in that. When we, when we really finally get this right, we're going to become a very powerful political, economic, and cultural and social force at a whole new level. And we definitely have to hold humbly the sense that that's important, that our world and many, many species, not just our own great-grandchildren, but the great-grandchildren of most higher mammals or, or even birds, you know, depend on this, or amphibians. So we have a, a, a moment of being opened up into wonder, like nobody, in the history of man, nobody could have seen evolution take place in their own lifetime until our lifetimes. The speed of cultural evolution has accelerated so much. So we can look back 13.8 billion years and we can see dramatic change going on right now, which is stressful and challenging to us. And we can look forward and see that it would be possible perhaps for us to create a utopian future or a completely dystopian extinction future or anything in between. Nobody has lived with that vantage point before right. in the history of the species. And for us to grow to the place where we can have a full conscious moral relationship to that incredible vista, it's, it, nobody's doing it perfectly. But to be in the amazement of that vista being revealed and to be caring, committed people with one another getting the, the necessity of that. That is our opportunity. And that's what I hope we all become more and more dedicated to serving. Right. So, but, but you didn't answer like the, the, the first part. How do you reconcile like spiritual activism? Don't get me wrong. I don't think that that, that, that is a great problem. Uh, but I find, it, I find it interesting. So how do you recon reconcile spiritual activism and, and the attachment in a way to a certain narrative? No. Uh, That's right. In, in, in relationship to, to those spiritual doctrines which, which uh, are about indifference and non-attachment. You know, because I, I can give you my ideas to that, maybe because, because I think that what, what we, we talked a little bit about Hansi Freinacht and Metamodern in, in, beginning, in the beginning of this podcast, and there are other um, post-postmodern meta-models apart from the integral model. And so one, one is, for example, this, this idea from Raoul Eshelman, this performatism uh, model, which says that the, the stage after postmodernism post goes beyond the relativism and pretends something is true, although you know it is just a narrative, so to speak. So that is like the same thing as the sincere irony um, from Hansi Freinacht. So, so you know um, your perspectives uh, on the world are kind of arbitrary because it's like the narratives you choose, but that doesn't um, um, hinder you. Is hinder, is hinder an English word? It doesn't, yes. doesn't hinder you to, to act as if, you know, so there's no, um, there's no fault in choosing that kind of narratives that we, that we have to do something um, for the benefit of the world. Um, even if 
we are not responsible for the solutions and the emergence that helps to, to save this kind of planet. So this is like a kind of mindset, a paradox mindset, which in my estimation is the very uh, thing that defines post postmodernism or integral or so that you that you can integrate the the relativity of the of the of the narratives but you are still able to act you're still able to go in the world and and choose a nar narrative and to to choose the morality and and do the best you can and, and this is something that i that i like and that's something that i that i appreciate with your book so that you, that you do that but th that's my understanding that's my perspective and how how would you Elaborate oh, on that was well. That, that was beautifully put. Put, and I think an accurate uh, expression. Metamodernist uh, philosophy is, and, and sincere irony. Uh, you know, that's an abstraction. That's that's a an intellectualization of something that, in the lived experience, is very immediate. It's like, wait a second. I realize that all my stories are partial and incomplete, and no story that I can tell will be absolutely adequate to everything. But in the midst of that, I don't want to be paralyzed by this re relativization of perspective. And I will, I will harvest from all of this the least inadequate uh, synthesis that I can. And that narrative will be the narrative on which I will act. But of course, life will give me feedback. I'll discover that there are some insufficiencies or some course corrections that I will have to make, and I will keep modifying my model as I go. But it will be an action inquiry in which I will be using my best analysis to, to participate, and then I will have to grow in the face of that. That's, I think, obviously the necessary stance that we take. The teachings about non-attachment are potentially a problem. I'd like to critique and appreciate those teachings in a couple of different ways. One of them is non-attachment easily is confused with dissociation or the schizoid personality type. And there are many people who have been attracted to spirituality because they have personality wounds that make it hard for them to feel and be related and 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 therefore the dissociation from caring about much of anything and always being able to be in equanimity but really not connected is is what they're doing and that kind of non-attachment is is unhealthy it's a misunderstanding of the teachings in my opinion sure but that's not what the teachings are about no the true teachings are about a kind of uh practice of letting go of the attachment and in, in, in a sense the, the, the core practice in, in the Indian tradition is described as karma yoga where you dedicate them, you, you, you do your very best, you serve selflessly and passionately but you release attachment to the outcome so that you can arrive fresh in the next moment and feel deeply at peace. I'm in service, I'm doing my best, I'm giving my all, I'm caring like crazy, I feel the pain. Would you describe yourself, um, your, your book, as being a karma yoga book? Yeah, from a certain perspective, it can be thought of that way. Yeah, I think that's true. But there's another uh, observation that is important. If I begin to sit down and somebody pulls the chair out from under me and I fall on my butt, it's not wrong that 
I am flustered for a moment that I'm that I that I don't like it or that my butt hurts from hitting the floor, et cetera, et cetera. And at a certain point, the expectation, the attachment to the chair being there is just inherent in being. We we can't surrender all attachments. Any any action that you take begins to make certain assumptions. Something's pulled out from under you. Non-attachment can be idealized way too much. And a certain kind of healthy attachment, the fact that I really care about the future of life, this is, is important. Our ability actually to feel everything is an expression of our enlightenment, not to feel less. My teacher, I did my, the first half of my adult life, I was completely immersed in sadhana with my, my root guru, who was Adi Da, very controversial. And uh, I don't really want to discuss him at length, but th in this way, he's a very important, uh, he, he taught me something very important. I remember what was most profound about him was the profundity of the field of depth that he would communicate in silence when we would sit in silent meditation. And I remember, uh, you know, I left his community 20 years before he died, but I saw him seven times in the last 20 years of his life. And on one of those occasions, I remember going into the space and it was a very, very intense field of force. It, it felt like uh, a steam room, you know, when you open a steam room and it's, you can't even see because it's so thick. It was the, the, the energy in the room was like that. And, 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 and as I sat down and I looked at him, I could see that his face was as if he were afflicted with, with tremendous pain. It was as if he were empathizing with all the suffering and all the pain of all the creatures in all the world. And as I sat down, I, I found myself feeling attracted to just allow myself to come into resonance with that. And so I began to feel similarly this like, oh my God. And I just let myself sink into a kind of sympathetic resonance with all, you know, compassionate, compassionately feeling every bit of death and suffering and degradation. Everything was just, and, and it was like a crucifixion of the, of the heart. It got more and more and more intense. And then at a certain point, I realized that in resonating with that spirit, I became incredibly blissful. So what I arrived at then was, was a felt experience of a, an awakening that was about allowing everything to be felt. All the good, all the bad, all the everything, all the every little bit of what there is to feel being allowed. That is accurate to real enlightenment. And there is in that a kind of indifference because it all just is. And it is all beautiful and terrible all at once. And therefore, in a way, you go beyond preference. But it isn't a dissociation. It's not a lack of resonance, a lack of feeling. It's an allowance of every of a, of a 360 degree exploded sphere of feeling and, and resonating with all that is here to be known and felt. Right. That kind of non-attachment, I, I respect. Right. Let, no, no, I, I'm, I'm completely with you there, like, especially when you talk about this dissociation and, and, and context of, of indifference and non-attachment. Non you know, it, 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 it depends a little bit on what language you, you use and what system you refer to. But because, like, if you, if you look, look at Zen, you have this idea of a, of a vacuum, basically, and that you make yourself a vacuum 
so so you can um, create some something new. So the, I just read the book, the book of tea. Have you have you ever read that? It's from from a guy. Uh, I don't think I have read that book. No. Uh, Kakuzo uh, Okakura. So it's a it's a Zen classic. Right. And, and the idea is just to let go of all uh, the the inner attachment, the outer attachment. Even and and this is something I I observe a lot in in this kind of alarmist debate. Like we at some point we have to die. You know, there's it's like, I mean. There, at some point, maybe in 50 years, in 500 years, in 5,000 years, or 5 million years, at some point there will be a human generation which is faced with extinction, and that will happen. There's, there's no Absolutely. way. Absolutely. There's no way around that. Every it's, living thing has birth, life, and death, including all our whole species. Absolutely. Including maybe the entire living earth no yes. for sure no there will a moment that's right moment. the sun will the sun will supernova yeah no. so there will be a, there will be definitely a point where we will all die and there will be a generation which will be facing extinction so and right. and and so and and i think and i and i actually i really think that we can address the problems that we have those global problems we actually have uh, Right when when we can acknowledge that we will die, then then we w won't act out of fear, and fear is never a good motivator to to for for emergence. You know, just when we when we lose the attachment, and 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 this is not dissociation. This is like an acceptance in a way. And maybe this is what you're talking about, this blissful thing. But this is necessarily uh, this is necessarily to 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 act properly, at least in my point of view. I've this really is where, and, and, and sorry to add this, and, and this is this is something um, that um, what, um, why I think that movements like Extinction Rebellion and Fridays for Future why why they are insufficient in a way, so because they're not addressing the the problem properly, and they're not acting. I mean, like you have like uh, like a whole generation of 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 young people who are protesting and and. Uh, like using their iPhones, were, which produced under horrible circumstances somewhere in India, like with their new H&M clothes. So that's, there's like an imbalance. And so that's not really, you, you know what I mean? Yes, but everybody is like that. Every single sure. one of us is that total hypocrite. Your lifestyle, my lifestyle, every one of us is doing things that are part of the problem. Anybody who can understand this has gotten enough of an education to have enough middle-class opportunities to be consuming more than the planet can permanently support based on, on what's going on now. And we can't, I, I think that we do need to let that um, hurt a little, like, to, like there is, has to be some energy in us to try to close that gap and to be in harmony with all of life. But there also needs to be a kind of self-compassionate humor about the fact that we've all found ourselves in this impossible situation and a respect for that. And this uh, appreciation that, yes, we are going to face our collective mortality maybe sooner than we would have ever imagined and maybe not for a long time. And our friends who might be involved in Extinction Rebellion might not be 
deeply enough appreciating those profundities or awake to the same spiritual disposition that is important to me to, to arrive in. But they're still allies in important ways in other respects, because there are so many forces that aren't even reckoning with the uh, urgency of the ecological uh, crisis and predicament. And so therefore, we have to kind of keep looking at one another with a, a great deal of generosity, appreciating how much trauma there is in almost everyone and how almost nobody has yet the level of personal development to be able to hold all of the complexity and paradox of our moment. And therefore, everybody is falling short of something that we can see as necessary. But to see them only in terms of their limitations is an ungenerous disposition. There are also, you know, like Greta Thunberg is supposedly a uh, semi-autistic or Asperger's. She's, she's got some uh, neurological problems that allow her to be this fierce and serious and single-minded person that she is. She's not a model for what I want to aspire to, but the fact that she's stepping forward in a way that is serving a social function of such significance on a worldwide scale is something to celebrate and appreciate. So I have to look at the glass half full in terms of all the limitations and all the people who are allies. This is what I mean by this central metaphor, a new republic of the heart. We have to look with eyes, golden eyes, that see the beauty and truth and goodness that are present in a fragmented and imperfect way in so many people who are attempting to be the change in some real way. And yes, they, they, they are, there's a great deal of conflict, and this is the problem among more conscious people, is that those of us who are making meaning in a very complex way don't march in lockstep, whereas the, the, the reactionary right-wingers, they can march in lockstep because they're more aligned to the, their group versus the other group and conformism, and, and this gives them disproportionate political power, especially right now. I'm suffering that in the United States, but it, the principle applies universally. So your, the, 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 the fragmentation of people of goodwill, the fact that some of them are fastening on just going back to the land. Some of them are fascinating on reckoning with collapse. Some of them are fascinating only on environmental activism. Others are seeing that they need to find uh, solidarity with people of color and, and, and immigrants and the cruelties there and social justice issues. Each of them is not wrong about the thing that they are focused on. Almost all of them have tremendous myopia and are not present to so much more. This is what is so often critiqued uh, by all of us integralists as the limitations of the postmodern view. But every single postmodernist is a, an integral, you know, a potential integralist. They can each grow out of those limitations. So can I, can I, may I? Uh, yeah. Because like, um, I, I, this is like for me the, the point, um, I want to go to, if, 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 if I may, um, the second half of your book, it's about we spaces. And, and may, may I ask uh, some questions here? Because I think, so, because you were talking about now um, postmodern people who are like on the verge of coming to integral or potentially going to integral. And so I think, um, how, how do I start? You know, you, you 
um, you wrote about two kinds, as far as I remember, of we spaces, like the, the normal we space, like as a kind of intersubjectivity, like which could happen like on every stage, basically, like to to use the spider dynamics model on, on two academics or two to new age people or two family members on a on a countryside. So just the right. specific space between two people where some um, some some we emerges. And then apart from that you you have the we space as a as a higher we as a transcendent we of well and, and now now I'm coming to the question because like I don't know how it is in, in America, but you know, I here in Germany, I, I see a lot of green masquerading as as turquoise. So you have like this phenomenon that there are people who are like very communal oriented, you know, and, and communal driven and find a natural inclination to the communal aspects of turquoise. I'm still referring to that spidonamics model, but without the inter intermediary step of, of this agency driven individualistic stage of integral and so i think you you already you, you you mentioned this in the book and 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 so and in a way um i i, I wonder how you how you go about that because from my point of view this this higher transcendent we space is actually only possible if you have fully realized integral people who know who they are and who have already transcended the pathologies of postmodernity. So you have like these, these authentic and, and self, to use Keegan's model, this is self-transcendent people who can come together and to create some, actually some higher we, in a way that some green postmodern, we could never achieve that. So that is my understanding. How? Um, what? What? Well, do you I, I I don't dispute this, and and this is. <laughs> I, I think about this in a rather complex and nuanced way. On the one hand, joining with what you're pointing out, I have a. I often feel a great longing and impulse, to, convene we spaces with extremely highly developed individuals who are a, an ultra elite who could create a very high level elite we space of a very rare kind that you could never normally uh, establish and of course it's you know such people are usually successful enough or busy enough or you know very choosy about how they spend their time so it's not so easy to do this and i have not convened it to you know although i am very lucky to spend a lot of time with people of that kind and often in lovely group uh environments to really exploit or explore all of the possibilities of of that highest we I think that much of that remains undiscovered territory. However, if I'm committed to this world and this time and timely action, I have to convene we spaces with whoever shows up. And inevitably, many of them will be green or even perhaps not even green, you know, the lower levels of development and what can happen there. And I think in that context, it's so important to appreciate that there is a divine nature of every being, that everybody has the potential for 
profound emergence, you know, states come for free. Structures have to happen over time. And if people, you know, state development is a turbocharger for structure development. So creating profound levels of intimacy and vulnerability and mutual trust and a presence to the divine such that the best qualities come out in people. You can do that with people who are still at green. And in the midst of that, people who are beginning to edge into teal or turquoise or whatever levels of development you might hope for beyond that, indigo or coral, whatever we call them, they, it, is, it is possible for some of what's best in us to emerge in those we spaces. So I don't, uh, you, you know, one of the things that be, we begin to become aware of in an integral consciousness is that every perspective is partial. And so a big part of our work as we evolve is to see the limitations that we are now outgrowing. We have to differentiate ourselves from them. But it is also true that every perspective has its truth, that it is good at something. And we tend not to be so well developed that we can be noticing and critiquing the limitations, even while we are celebrating and appreciating and joining with the truths. And the, uh, I think that a, a serious and generous evolutionary activist has to become a little more forgiving and generous and do whatever we can do at whatever levels are possible more more consistently to no i mean like I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt but i think you're completely right because like i think that the true meaning of being able to be integral means to be able to uh, create we spaces with people at at the modernistic level or, or uh, the, the blue level, the traditional level or the green level. I mean, like I, uh, I, I know somebody who is just, just um, orange, just this modern, modern success-driven person. But uh, this, this kindness this person is able to exert, it's like, it's, 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 um, it's beautiful, it's true, it's, it's good, and it's, in, in, in many cases, more profound than anything any new ager is able to accomplish. You know this because, like, we, we are so. It's like sometimes I, I think we forget the, the 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 usefulness and the utility of of those modernistic stages because I think kindness is a is a very high spiritual quality. Although they would never call it like that, but it's like it's the most practical spiritual thing you can you can do. Some do something out of kindness, out of love for somebody else without wanting to, to, to create to take the credit and so and so i think like to be able to to convene and to create a we space with with a person like that is, is highly is, is highly useful and to to overcome the, the allergies you might have against some particular stage exactly there's there's a simple thing i often say uh your spirituality or your higher consciousness or your higher stages of development aren't worth a fig if they don't manifest themselves as love in action. That, that's really true. And our capacity to be critical, this is one of the paradoxes right now. Some of the people you've spoken with on your series, Jordan Peterson, uh, some of the other influential public intellectuals like Sam Harris and 
many of the people participating in the intellectual dark web, but also many integralists are, have been advancing our understanding by critiquing the limitations of, you know, usually we begin by critiquing postmodernist green interpretation, because those are the ones that we're chafing at, is as we outgrow at the leading edge of culture, the, the limitations of modernism are already well critiqued by postmodernism, so, and, and the limitations of traditional orientations are already well critiqued by modernity and postmodernity, so we focus then on the limitations of postmodernism and distinguish ourselves from them by that critique. And we then notice that this particular critique leaves something out and so we critique it. And we have many mutually reinforcing critiques here at the leading edge of culture as we're getting into metamodern culture more fully. Natural, inevitable, that's the way evolution proceeds, not a problem. But I'm actually much more interested in a different kind of discourse. I, I'm, you don't see me primarily putting down or critiquing other perspectives. I'm much more interested in shared inquiry in sitting on the same side of the table and looking at the fact that we're all confronted with something much more serious. The limitations of the mean green meme are sometimes stifle me and make me even in certain environments unable to speak. I mean, not, by no means am I indifferent to those limitations, but much more serious than that are the, the civilizational predicament that uh, confronts us all. And at least postmodernists care about some of those issues. In some sense, at, a, at the broadest level, they are my allies. So I'm really interested in sitting on the same side of the table. But the same is true for modernists, you know, like, like any yes. reasonable modernist like, is, your, is your ally, basically. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. And, 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 and oddly enough, a healthy traditionalist is my ally, potentially, too. What we, what we have right now are a lot of unhealthy dynamics in which people are reducing themselves down to the most reactive and self-protective and kind of ugly expressions of all of their uh, worldview uh, patterns. But, but the, the, the key thing then is to find a way to join with whoever you're in conversation with and to draw them into whatever their higher potential is through your empathy and mutual respect and care for what you have in common. This is, this is you know, every one of us has to begin to become, even the oldest versions of virtue, like imitating Jesus, right? That's not a bad metaphor for what we're called to do now. We, we have to become a presence of care and generosity that armed with all our critical awarenesses and all the distinctions that help us see limitations in virtually everyone we look at. The more we grow in that, the more the limitations of everyone around us are going to be before us. But if we're looking at them as if they are primarily their limitations, we're not doing our practice. We have to look at the what we, we could call the the, the open intelligence or the in inherent goodness or the uh, divine spark or whatever it is in that other person and join with it. If, if we're not doing that, we're failing in our own practice. So how, how, how would you go about with the polarization that we face right now? Because I don't know how it is in America, but at least here from, from my European or German po point of view, it's like there's, there's a clear 
relation between extreme pathological left, radical left, uh, mean green meme, and the reemergence of nationalistic structures. So there's a clear, this is not even debatable. That's like in, in, in Germany, that's, that's the, the more extreme it gets. On the, yeah, the one extreme it gets on the, un, on the one side, uh, you know, it's, it's like a, the opposite force arises. So, and so there's like this deep polarization, um, which, which I kind of sort of observe also in, in, in the United States, but I don't know because I don't live there. So, but how would you, how would you, um, go about that? Like, how would you describe that? And I don't see what, anybody. What... Who, I don't see anybody who has a perfect solution to these problems. No, but I, I'm asking you for your perspective. You know. Your... Yes. Hmm. So, what I would first say is, when people ask me how to talk to a Trump supporter, what I usually say is. Get curious about what you can like in that person or where you can re resonate with that person. And if you're talking about a sports team or about a recipe for cooking a dish or how to fish or uh, enjoying the great outdoors or something that has no political or polarized dimension, and you can begin to resonate with that other person and connect with their common humanity, you're doing something really important. Because the more and more that those people begin to dehumanize you, the more they're going to be capable of the kind of really violent and fascistic behaviors that are going to be most dangerous right now. So re-knitting the social fabric is job one. And talking about things in the terms that they're debated in the popular press and the cable TV is not the skillful means that you, that you should employ. But uh, th th that isn't by itself going to completely disarm uh, all of our problems with polarization. And, and one of the facts that's going on in the United States, and I suspect it may be a little less true in Europe, is that the psychopathic uh, tendencies are way more concentrated on the right wing than they are on the left. This equivocation of the left and the right doesn't follow perfectly here. We have uh, a, a real attempt by, you know, most of the people who are potentially violent psychopaths are right-wingers. It's not equally distributed. There, there, there are tremendous suppressive limitations going on. The mean green meme and the, uh, the suppression of free thought and, and even free speech from the left are, are, are serious problems. I don't mean to minimize them, but uh, violent psychopaths are much more concentrated on the right. And in are you, face are you, are you serious? Because like uh, Antifa in America is super violent in, in, in Germany. Uh, it's, uh, my impression is that it's a much smaller force. Right. And if you look at the gun ownership, uh, and the people stockpiling weapons and all the rest, it's way, way concentrated on right. the right. Maybe it's different in the United States. I, you know, in Germany, I've, it's, it's a funny story that I, I, I think I told already, but the thing is I, I was in contact with the German branch of Extinction Rebellion to, pro, to, to promote a book about, I don't know, you know, Simple from John Bunsell, the book. And so that book was like, had, had a, like a, a blurb from, from Noam Chomsky. 
you know, the, the main figure of the left who said, like, that's a great idea, let's all try this. And so I was in contact with, with, um, with the, the guys from Extinction Rebellion, at least with the moderator. So, and the idea was that I gave them, to give them the, the book for free and so they, they can circulate it. And so, and so, and she, she said that that's kind of complicated because first, um, there, there are Nazi hunters in, in, in the core team of, of Extinction Rebellion. And so I said, well, that's no problem. The book was endorsed by Noam, Noam Chomsky, who was like the main figure of the left. So there, there should be no problem uh, in, in, in having this book. And she said, well, that's a kind of a problem because Noam Chomsky is viewed as a self-hating Jew. And I was, I was, my mind was blown. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, I still can't even fathom that stupidity. And so, I don't know, for me- the, the, the stupidity of the left is legion and multifarious and complex and very often really mean. I mean, there are, there are, it, you're, you're not wrong that the, that the errors are really, really severe, but there is a point that needs to be made, which is, red needs to be defeated that red isn't reason you can't reason with the warrior consciousness and you can't reason with psychopaths i i definitely have a political stance i am against psychopathic individuals and group behaviors and movements and i'm against cynicism the cynicism particularly among younger people millennial generation and and, and especially the next generation beyond the millennials is a, a serious problem too. So to me, the defeat of psychopathic actors is absolutely necessary. And I think it's very important that we have a flex flow attitude where we, like you did by reaching out to Extinction Rebellion, where we forge as many alliances as we can, temporary or partial though they may be, with people who are able to help us defeat the most dangerous tendencies. What we have to realize is that there are some genuinely dangerous uh, movements afoot. If, if this right-wing backlash really does successfully take over the center of gravity of the major political powers in the world, our ability to avert the ecological Armageddon is going to be completely undermined. There, but don't, you, don't we have to acknowledge, like the if we if we take an integral view, don't we have to acknowledge like this, the systemic relationship between those two forces? Don't we have to acknowledge them and say, well, it doesn't really matter who's at fault when everybody is is like polarizing. So and and if we want to actually address the problems we have, we have to we have to do it on a, on a global scale and on a, on a system uh, systemic scale. So you can't really talk about the emergence of the right without, uh, without the, the far left because they're happening actually at the same time, at the same place, and they're actually interacting with each other. So, you know. Well, I, 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 yes, this is very true. I agree with that. And I also see that there are nuances as to how this appears. And the excesses, you know, the right is aligning itself. Very often it pays lip service to blue or amber values, but it is actually exercising, particularly at the most extreme levels, more red dispositions. 
Whereas on the left, you have green values that are held by people who are sometimes actually green or modern or traditional, but very often also red. And that uh, is a difference. There, there is more development in the green level than there is in the amber level. It, uh, somebody who's a healthy, wholesome, genuine Christian, caring about God and country, who's a traditional person, is, is, is our ally. But there's a great deal of pathology on the right as well as on the left. And the, I don't think that they have co-arisen together. The pressures of rapid social change have created a fragmentation in culture pervades the whole spectrum. It isn't that the left caused it and the, and the right is just a backlash to the excesses of the left. The speed of cultural change and just technological change and the speeding up of cultural evolution have created stresses that are bringing out all of the pathologies. Everybody's traumas are being stimulated. So to treat the postmodern folks who are at the lead, so-called leading edge of culture as if they're the causative agent. Oh, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say, I, I said the, the, the far left. Not, I, I mean, I'm, I'm completely aware of all the, 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 the benevolent um, achievements of, 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 of the green folks, you know, of the postmodernist. And, and so, but I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about the at that moment in time, when, when the left shifted to, to the far left, you know, you, you can pinpoint that, then there was like a, a general emergence of the right. And so, and so it's like, like two children that, that, who are fighting, and as a parent, you have to say, well, stop it. In a way, it's, it doesn't matter. Well, we, 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 saw, we saw the big activation of the right in the United States after the election of Barack Obama, and it was primarily to some degree, a sense of insecurity among white people, sensing that they were beginning to see a demographic shift so that they were going to become a majority-minority country, and there was really a great deal of racism at the core of it. And the inflamed, outraged anger of the Tea Party, which was the first manifestation of this recent wave, had to do with the fiscal irresponsibility of the bailouts, but the source of all of that was not really the excesses of the left it right. had just with the inflammation so i i don't i don't i i don't agree that that the and and you know there's maybe another it's different maybe it's different i can't really the, the immigration uh crisis is really what stimulated the 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 backlash on the right so i don't i don't know that we have to assign a a, a single cause i think that the, the more profound analysis is that we, you, you, the, in, in A New Republic of the Heart, I cite uh, the futurist uh, Peter uh, Russell and the physicist Jeffrey West pointing out that we are caught in a self-accelerating cycle and that the self-accelerating cycle creates enormous stresses at every level of society the speed of cultural change, just the speed of changes in marketplaces and having to learn new computer platforms and uh, the barrage of interruption-driven, you know, all of, all of those factors are together 
creating uh, the future shock that Alvin Toffler talked about 25 years ago. All of that is accelerating and, and intensifying, and it will be self-terminating. Things can't go faster and faster forever. They go faster and faster and faster, and that implies a time singularity. Faster, 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 faster. Well, it just it reaches a, a singularity. And, and that, according to both Rush and, uh, or excuse me, West, Jeffrey West and uh, Peter Russell, they think that that will be self-terminating unless, what, what Jeffrey West says, unless there can be what he calls a grand unified theory of sustainability. What would that be? That would only come if we had another revolution in the lower right-hand quadrant, a techno-economic breakthrough. That would be that would give us some breathing space, give us an, a, a, another little bubble of prosperity, and if the wealth created by that were dedicated to a transformation of culture, such that we would make a transition toward a garden planet relationship to a, a permanently sustainable presence on this planet, that isn't likely. There are no trends showing us that that's about to happen, but it's not impossible. And for me, such visions of uh, radical transformation are inspiring rather than just the fact that we don't yet see the trends. Well, there are a lot of people working on free energy devices and radical approaches. The fact that, you know, one of the initiatives that I'm most interested, in fact, I, if people listening to this podcast are themselves technologists who are innovating something that they think can be radically transformative of society, or if they are investors who are interested in pro-social investment, I think that one of the initiatives that needs to come together is not an investment fund exactly, but a stewardship fund, uh, a fund that would attract both the technologists and the investors who would be wanting to attract the wisdom with which to steward the radically transformative technologies such that they could be deployed in a way that would allow us to continue the cultural and spiritual evolution of, uh, of, of, of this whole experiment, not just human, but the preserve the future of life. That transition to a garden planet is, there's nothing in the current trends that show that that would tend to happen based on projecting current trends. But Radical change is before us, and we could co-create it. So that that's, to me, one of the most inspiring ideas I, I know of. Sure. No, I completely agree that, that and, and this is like the, the um, what's the word? That's the, the benefit of your book, that, that it allows to, you know, to, to, to act responsibly in the world and have this bird's eye view and, and do the best you can. Um, without being entrenched in, 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 in the culture wars. And so to, to have this global view on things and, and do what we only can do, you know? And, and so it doesn't really matter what other people do as long as, as, um, as we try to be authentic and, 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 and ethical. And so because that's what we have in control, I think. Yes. You know, in, in the Jewish tradition, there is an idea that the most important thing you can do is to write your name in the book of life. 
in a good way. And that the way you live your life is how you write your name in the book of life. So whether we are at a time when we're looking at the end of the human experiment or whether we are perhaps the co-creative metamodernist co-authors of, of something emergent that can help turn this around and create another 10,000, 100,000, million, 10 million years of cultural evolution that could go to who knows what kinds of glories. We don't know, but we can be true to our moment in a way that is good and true and beautiful. And that, uh, that is just endlessly inspiring to me. And the fact that we will be a sacrifice upon that, that I will, you know, I'm already getting a little older, old age, sickness, old age, and death, right? And that's what's, no matter what, there are going to be good days, there are going to be bad days. No matter what, there's going to be suffering. No matter what, there's going to be death. No matter what, there's also going to be all kinds of joys and beautiful sunsets and gorgeous nature, and there's going to be love, and there's going to be friendship. No matter what, all those things are coming. And if we discover this perspective giving us a sense of meaning and personal agency and communal agency, we become friends at a whole different level. And that is what I'm living for. That's what I'm giving my life to. Terry, thank you a lot um, for taking the time for this podcast. I think that was very inspiring. Um, yeah, I wish you and, uh, and, and the book like all the success because I think the idea is great and, and worth sharing and, and enriching the world. I think we have it. It was fun. Yeah. I'm really grateful that you're bringing the book out in German and I'm happy to begin to get to know you better and I look forward to getting to know you better in the future. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs>